Hello, everyone. So I am here today for another episode of Plain Rainbows, which may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals. Further, you may need to cease listening until you're in a place to be able to listen better. With that being said, welcome to our final episode of Plain Rainbows Season 3. I am joined by my co-host, James! Hi, everyone. Happy Pride. Woo, woo! And lastly, I am joined by our guest, Kelly Hofer. Did I say it right? Hello. Yes, you did. Oh, my God. I, I got it right. So, Kelly, for many who may not know, is a Hutterite. Correct. And... He has had a very interesting journey to where he has done a lot of artwork in regards to Hutterite and his specific Hutterite journey. So with that being said, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Kelly Hofer, and I used to be a Hutterite and now live in Calgary, Alberta. Um, I grew up in Hutterite Colony, just southeast of Brandon, and lived there for 19 odd years. I worked there as a fire truck manufacturing um, electrical engineer and CNC water jet operator. And then also before that as a carpenter. <laughs> and the whole time I was doing that, I was also becoming, I guess, a photographer. So I left in 2012 when I was 19 years old and moved to Calgary where I have a sister that also left and lives. Um, and when I left, I came out of the closet and in doing so was the first Hutterite that I know of that came out publicly. And it's been an interesting journey because of that. And it's been decently positive from many perspectives, but like there's a lot of religious hate in that as well. But overall, it's been a productive coming out, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at least it's been productive and there's been some positivity. Yeah. You know, regardless of like religious trauma, there can still be like positive aspects, but both can exist side by side simultaneously. Indeed. You can glad that you you had like the ability to come out and that it has changed some things for some of your community your mm -hmm. uh, community of origin and people from that community or from that culture right mm -hmm. but you can also be not exactly happy with some of the religious trauma around that oh sure yeah definitely i am not a fan of religion on any front. <laughs> oh, gee. I wonder why. <laughs> the thing is, I never, I never, like, even living on the colony, I never really found myself to buy into the religious kind of doctrine and the religious um, indoctrination. So I, I don't really see myself as ever having become non-religious. It was just non-religious the whole way. <laughs> So you were physically in, but mentally you were not even there. Yeah, 
mentally I was like into science. <laughs> you know that like Jehovah's Witnesses actually have a term for that. They call it PIMO. It's like P-I-M-O. And it's called like this is totally off on a tangent, but they 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 talk about this phenomenon where people are physically in the church, but for whatever reason they're mentally not even present. Oh, there's so many of those in the Hutterite culture in general. <laughs> oh wow, so many of those. <laughs> so I noticed you're talking about being an electrical engineer. Are you? Do people ever confuse your Hutterite background with? Amish? Like all of the time. <laughs> so most people don't know who Hutterites are and most people know who Amish are. You, I think somehow because you're more old school, you get that you kind of have better branding because of that as a culture or more memorable branding. <laughs> or how about this? What if Amish exists not just as a religion, but also as a business culture, as a way of life? And their branding has been upheld by academia and media of all sorts of types. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about reasonable. But yeah, like people confuse us all of the time. And like, I will say I often, when people don't know who Hutterites are as a baseline, I'm like, we're the cousins of the Amish and the Mennonites. Like you're not really that. Yeah, but, but we're like the Amish and Mennonites in that they're all Anabaptists, but we have live in colonies unlike the Amish and Mennonites. And we basically practice socialism where everyone within the community contributes to the one bank account and everyone is taken care of equally. So, and, and aside from that, I don't, and technology, like the difference in technology use, I think those are the two main differentiating factors. Well, see, but the thing is, is that when it, not to speak for Mennonites, but I am aware that there are many different varieties of Mennonites. So you have mm -hmm. like what you call the institutionalized or assimilated Mennonites who look like me and you today, right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't pick them out from the street. They're more like using cult, using electricity. They're more, uh, I'll go to college, stuff like that. They usually wear denim. Denim yeah, and like yeah. pastels. <laughs> and then you also have like um you have new order amish that do use electricity they do go to college they use like more technology mm -hmm. but then you have like old order amish like so the thing is is it's not that all of us are averse to technology it's that some mm -hmm. of us are averse to technology the type of amish that i was in all five communities we were more averse to technology each one of those communities had varying degrees of less technology, which is why I looked at the pictures in your book and I was like horrified because y'all be using combines with rubber tires? I about fell out my chair. <laughs> or like the why are you Why are you pointing out the rubber tires? I can understand the combine, but what does the rubber tire have to do with this? Well, one of the communities that I lived in, we could have tractors, but they had to have steel tires. Why? That was the rules. Okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, those rubber tires, though, Kelly. 
I, I just feel like y'all are scandalous and a little bit worldly. <laughs> and then I started looking more and I see <laughs> red dresses, red and purple dresses. So I'm going to mm -hmm. have a meltdown about that. Well, you explain like the yeah. type of, like, you know, things y'all were allowed to have. So I came from one of the more liberal colonies, like of all of the colonies of all like 550 of them. And I'd say we were in the top. 10 most liberal in how we how fast we integrated technology the internet uh, cell phones computers like engineering like going to college going to university I, I think our colony was quite good in on that front compared to others um, in terms of fashion there was definitely some that were a bit more liberal but we were up there as well like pastels were worn bright colors like the engagement so many patterns beautiful <laughs> metallic patterns lace overlay <laughs> patterns on wedding dresses non-plaid patterns for men that was like whew. what right <laughs> you're gonna give Mary a meltdown <laughs> she can't handle it I, I just can't handle this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be okay. I also noticed something else. Is some of the coverings in your photographs, they were like colors and patterns and... Coverings? Yes. Like, I don't know what y'all call them. A mitz or a, like a teethel is the one that the adults wear. Like the adult women, that's like either black or black with polka dot. And then the ones that the small girls wear, that's called a mitz. Oh, okay. So the mitts, which we call a cop, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So Maybe yeah, those those are usually quite brightly colorful. Like they're almost never black and white. Yeah, I, I was just, I almost had a heart attack looking at your pictures. And then I was like, okay, wait, this is the header rights. I'm just going to talk to Kelly here. <laughs> <laughs> and Kelly's going to explain these differences in a way that makes sense to our audience and our listeners and mm -hmm. and so they can understand that like hydrates fundamentally operate in a different scale like they're more socialist they're more in in your experience what you experienced was way more liberal it's not mm -hmm. even remotely close to what i experienced in my older Amish communities yeah so I would start maybe with um, like education as the basis. So our colony has had high school and college and university education as an option since the early 90s. Wow. And that was because there was a nearby group of colonies that started a system called ITV, which is called Interactive Instructional Television. And because the government because all schools on colonies are public schools. Surprise, surprise. The, um, because the government only allocates like three teachers for the 30 students we have, and those 30 students are from K to 12. So there's not enough teachers to do a solid job of teaching across that many grades at the same time. So to overcome that, a bunch of colonies banded together and built a, it's called the HBNI network the Hutterite Brethren Network, where we used our grain handling systems as like, I guess, microwave towers for connecting all the colonies and building our own internet infrastructure. Wow. That, infra 
that infrastructure allowed us to um, connect all of those colony schools, like even in the mid 90s with a Zoom like um, product where it was just live teleconferencing with 20 to 30 different classroom, like colony classrooms across Manitoba. So we could have really high quality teachers like or like choose from a, among the best teachers, have them teach 60 students in one grade rather than four students in three grades type of deal. Um, and I think that came out of the realization from colony ministers that the lower grade of education wasn't viable anymore with how much Hutterite colonies were moving to manufacturing. Like we needed to know a lot more math, a lot more engineering, um, machining skills and so on. And ended up having to hire out a lot of the higher skill labor, like for our, in our colony, we build fire trucks. So we have a few outside engineers that come in and help design the fire trucks. And we do our own stress testing. We do our own kind of um, testing at the end with the fire trucks to make sure they meet the, the specs that they need to. But kind of shifting over to more manufacturing necessitated the higher education. And with that higher education, I feel like a lot more social, like the social values shifted a little bit from being like, it went away from being kind of this naive following of the tradition for the sake of following the tradition towards more of an understanding of what the the Hutterite culture was about and kind of taking the, the parts that were actually critical to it, amplifying those and also kind of getting rid of old traditions that didn't, that nobody wanted anymore, basically. For example, like women used to wear um, the kind of an overskirt that was made of a darker kind of sheer material that they had to wear everywhere to kind of dull their skirt and make it a bit darker. and that went along with like polka dots on shawls, which were kind of a sign of old values. Um, and, and in general, like the colonies with the larger polka dots tend to be a bit more conservative, whereas the ones with no polka dots tend to be more liberal. For just from an outsider perspective, that is kind of a good guide. Wow. And and with that education system, I think also came a lot more educated women because a lot of the teachers that are now teaching English school in Hutterite colonies are Hutterite women that went to university, got their degree, their bachelor's degree in education, and are now teaching on the colony, which I think once you start doing that, it's inevitable that you get feminist kind of values creeping in and making themselves known. And I, I've definitely seen a lot of positive movement in that direction on the colonies from women having more of a vote to them working in the shops more, like in the industry more, less focused on just raising babies and like doing the household chores and more on contributing to the colony's economy and getting educated and helping the outside community more rather than the traditional roles that women may like, but they shouldn't be bound to just doing that. I think they should have the choice as to whether or not that's all they want to do on a colony if everyone is assumed to be equal. So, yeah. 
I, I think so are I, you I, saying that women being bound to a role or the expectation that women should be barefoot and pregnant and have as many children as possible, then they should take care of the home and they should always, you know, be expected to maintain that role? Are you saying that's kind of limiting? <laughs> That was a that was a nice level of sarcasm. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, good you get it. <laughs> no, it's 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 such a toxic trait I find that usually men and usually older women impose this rigid standard of what someone must be in order to be a part of their home. I think it's incredibly demeaning for people that aren't that, that don't fit that role, that don't want to fit that role, just being shoehorned as a human being into just this place where you should belong without actually asking the person, do they like it? Do they approve? Would you like to go educate my former Amish, I mean, my former, my community of origins bishop? <laughs> I mean, I feel like he could benefit from hearing what you have to say about women's roles. Oh, he'd it's, walk out of the room so quick. It's, I mean. He's like, he's like I don't need to hear this. <laughs> he would. You're the devil's mouth. Right. Oh, my. Better spill well, that. The whole reason that the Amish don't attend higher education is because the church is afraid that we'll leave. If we get education, I mean, so here's, ignorance here's, keeps community together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can only control people if they're more ignorant than you. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Oh, that's a big one. And Which says a lot about the level of education of those ministers and those leaders that they feel threatened by someone with a grade 12 education. I'm like, if, it's, if all it takes is to undermine your philosophy is someone with, like, basic knowledge of the world then your philosophy isn't meant to stick around. It is If it doesn't have the durability, it doesn't deserve to stick around. And yeah. I, I, yeah. I say that as well with, like, how do I um, ministers? So they obviously also have the opinion that if you're educated, you're more likely to leave. I have not found that to be the case. Like, in the Manitoba colony I come from, if you compare the colonies that have the Greek 12 education, have university education and um, college education, usually for the trades, there is not higher rates of leaving. I'd say they're even lower because the people actually feel fulfilled in going after what they want to in terms of education, in terms of their own potential. And also, if you want to foster an appreciation for your own culture, it may be worth giving the people an understanding of what your culture is. And that's from an outsider perspective as well. Like you have to understand how your culture fits into the fabric of, of cultures around the world in order to actually appreciate it and want to preserve it and want to put in the hard work of changing it to pass it on to preserve it. Because if you don't change, then the world is like the world never doesn't change. So if you keep on not changing, you'll be just destroyed as a culture. You'll be undermined. You'll just 
it's not a survival instinct that's useful to just stay the same. Well, would you say that it is somewhat human to constantly be changing? Yeah. To adapt and to evolve? Because that is the point of education. Because throughout history, have we not done that as humans collectively? Precisely. So, like, I understand that old people want to not change because they've learned something when they were young. So that's like, like within a single generation change. And that's a bit harder to impact. And you just have to depend on old people passing away for change to become the norm and young perspectives kind of replacing them. But if you impose kind of the unwillingness to change that old people feel onto all the young people, your culture will just die. And it's not going to be, it might not be a quick death. It might not be a obvious death, but it's just going to die into obscurity. It, I might, find. it might be a slow and painful death. Too. Yeah. It might be a tyrannical death. It might be a quiet death. It could be all over the map, but the thing that is inevitable is death. If you're not willing to change. If you're and, not willing. and like for myself, I see Hadere cultures having many valuable things. Like they do food exceptionally well. They do social welfare exceptionally well. Like there's no, there's very little loneliness. There's no um, homelessness. There's very little drug dependencies. Um, there's not a lot of antisocial behavior. Um, there's really good social safety net for when you're sick, disabled, pregnant, old, like, and can't work. So that and, and quite a few other things, like they're beautiful things that shouldn't be destroyed. But if you don't change over time, those things will just go with the destruction that is wrought by not changing, I find. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate your analysis of that. So um, with that being said, I kind of like to talk a little bit about like, how did you go from being in the Hutterite community to becoming a photographer? Like you mentioned briefly that you started taking pictures and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but like your, your photography is well known. Like how did it, how did you go from one to the other? Um, like in any other context, it would be kind of a normal story. So like my parent, so going back, like way back before I was born, my dad left the colony and he was, he enjoyed photography as well. He had a full on big DSLR in the seventies. He was living here around Calgary, maybe Lethbridge. I can't quite remember. He had like professional photo equipment. We have a bunch of slides of his at home. So like there was a little bit of um, photography from that end, but I had very little exposure to it because he had completely dropped that hobby. But my dad is the high school principal in our colony and a high school teacher. And in our, with the ITV system that I described earlier, all of our classes were done online. And we often had to document stuff for classes, like projects we did that we had to take photos off and send in to the teachers because those teachers were always remote. So we had a school camera, as many schools do. Um, that school camera, because of the way gear just disappears on a colony if you leave it unlocked, it lived at our family home. Like my dad took it home whenever he, the school day was done and I just had access to it. 
So as someone that was doing a lot of art at that time, like I was doing a lot of drawing, painting, I was doing photo editing before I shot photos, which was weird. Um, so it was just like another medium that just kind of organically started. I started shooting photos at home of nature first, nighttime photos. Just the first like two, three years, there were very few people in my photos because nobody liked being photographed. But then people just kind of started ignoring me because I had my camera around so often and just photographed everything. And I think that was kind of the key to getting a lot of my photos was just I had it on me of not like an obnoxious amount of my life, like the camera. So people just ignored me and I was able to capture them in more realistic settings. And so I started shooting my first photos when I was around 10. Um, I posted a lot of the photos online on Flickr and WordPress back in the day when those were things. I love um, WordPress. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they got me into trouble a lot. Those like <laughs> online postings because the minister, like the minister obviously didn't like it. He made me take down and delete my blogs multiple times. But I also blogged about women's rights. I blogged about the Hutterite split. I blogged about other Hutterite issues that happened and are still issues to this day. Like that got me into trouble all of the time, especially posting photos of people without their permission because nobody would ever give me permission. So I'm like, fuck this. I'll just post them anyway. Oh my. Um, and through hey. that, I actually got to know quite a lot of other photographers outside of like English photographers or outsider photographers. And one of them ended up giving me a camera for my 15th birthday, like a proper like professional DSLR with a lens. So that kind of opened up a whole new door of creative expression because it was a much better camera. It wasn't just a point and shoot. It had a lot more creative control. So I went with that and just kept shooting. And yeah. editing and yeah. putting it out there. Yeah. And to this day, I'm still doing it at a professional level. That's my main income, my main job. And <laughs> actually, this week, I just started training for the International Cinematographers Guild, <laughs> which would get me uh, on film sets as a camera operator for film sets. So I'm in a training program for that, which is quite exciting. That is That's wonderful. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Hell <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like Shit. a two-year program. Mm -hmm. What you yeah. got, James? Should I jump in and mention uh, the film, Kelly, that you did, uh, Queer Hutterite? Uh, was, it B was it BBC that did that film? No. So um, BBC did the first film that I was ever in. It um, So right around the time of me leaving, like a few months prior, like it started basically a year prior, there was a BBC documentary crew that reached out to me initially looking to do a bunch of, do a documentary on Hutterite culture. And the filmmaker had actually, she had done a documentary about the Amish as well. I could find you the, the name of that. And it even won a BAFTA, like a British film award for it. Okay, so can I just interject? 
99% of the films about Amish are literally so inaccurate that I can't even stand to watch it. And I have been told by my partner that I'm not allowed to watch them because they're too awful. Just, okay. just for the record. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. All good. Yeah, I think you're talking about Devil's Playground. Um, Maybe. Me... Maybe. And that, that was really good, Mary, that film. So um, she's done two of them. She's like Amish, A Secret Life, and oh, the other one is called Meet the Mormons. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. The the film that you did though, the Queer Hutterite film, that was really good. And um, so so how do how do the the Hutterite community like how how do they uh like what is their viewpoint on being gay or lesbian? Like um, how? What is, <laughs> if you want, if you want to go there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, toxic. Toxic. Like, yeah. At, at at the baseline, it's it's very toxic, very fundamentalist religious. So, when the BBC crew showed up initially, they wanted to film in our colony and have me be a larger part of the documentary. But the minister in our colony, event, like after giving them a go-ahead, re like rescinded his permission because he got a few complaints from people in the colony who just weren't comfortable around cameras. So they ended up moving to Maple Grove Colony, which is also featured in the film where my mother is from. And so it's my mother colony, and I know everyone there. It Initially, when she interviewed me, Sorry, initially um, they were supposed to put a wedding into that documentary at the end, but again, the minister, and they had planned out everything. They had all the time set, all the film crew set up and they were all coming. But then a last minute, the minister actually rescinded permission for them to film a wedding because some old woman or old women complained about it. Because she now had a part of the film that was un developed or part of a film that was didn't have a, a plot for it anymore um they were kind of looking for extra footage and at that time i also told them that i was leaving the colony because i was gay so she obviously like was very interested in that story because it's kind of a dramatic story in that context and I had been helping, so I had been helping them the whole time as a fixer. And a fixer is someone that basically is the boots on the ground that knows the people, that gets a documentary crew their access and leads them around, tells them how to manage expectations, how to communicate, what not to say, and so on. It's it's the person that knows the culture and helps a crew. So. I helped them do that. I helped them do, I did all of the translations for the footage that was shot in how to write German. I did all of the publicity photos that they wanted for it and filmed a few of the um, things on a GoPro that they gave me, like a few of the scenes. So she asked for permission to film me leaving and in that, in those interviews, I definitely like come out if I remember correctly. However, later on, I just told her I wasn't comfortable coming out in that film yet because it was a bit too public, a bit too thing. So I kind of alluded to it, but it wasn't it wasn't kind of a very strong signal that anyone would have picked up on. So 
they filmed me leaving. I filmed myself like on the bike and then they kind of took over when once I got to my sister's car in that leaving scene. And they filmed me for the first two days in Calgary. Um, and initially that film went over pretty well, like most of the Hutterites loved it, but it was only after they saw the comments on YouTube that of what other people thought about it, that they started hating it, that they started seeing it as a negative view on the culture. So that was an interesting thing. And then several years later, um, a producer here in Calgary, I think her name is Laura O'Grady from a small film company was like, saw me at doing some talk at an event called, I think it's Pachacacha, which is like a 10 minute, people speak for 10 minutes and move on to the next speaker on a specific topic. They, she saw me there, liked the story that I did because I talked about community and a how to write perspective on the idea of community. And she asked to do a documentary about me. And we ended up just calling it Queer Hutterite and making it pretty plain and simple what the documentary was about. And that went over like a lead balloon in my, like, in the people that knew me. They didn't really like that a lot <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I think it has opened up a lot of conversations that otherwise would have never happened because it gave the concept of how to write, how to write that are gay, a face, a name, a place, uh, a seed of a start of a conversation. And even, even like the outreach communities that I've worked with here in Calgary, um, like the ones that bring in, um, immigrants and asylum seekers from other countries that are like gay whenever i talk to them about gay rights on how to write colonies they they just exclaim to me that hmm, i never thought of that like never thought of someone just outside of our yeah. city maybe also needing a system like that because how to rights have no means to communication with those types of organizations once they leave or like when they're still at home they don't have the internet in most cases. In most cases, like, they don't have a personal phone. So, like, getting even to know that there is, a, like, outreach societies, it's a big deal. Like, it's it takes a lot of work to actually find right. that information when you don't know that that information exists, know how to find it, all of that. It's, but, well, yeah. Is it? the same is it similar to where like um for for example like we i spoke um like my primary language is pennsylvania dutch yeah and then the other thing is <clears throat> is i didn't even know what resources to look for to begin accessing resources is that the same is that kind of what yes. you're getting at like we were, or at least I was completely unaware that there might be resources. So like one of the first things that we did as a group, so I sat down with a bunch of my other gay <clears throat> Hutterite peers here in Calgary at one point, and we were sitting around some bar table and we just talked amongst ourselves and decided to make a Hutterite uh, Facebook group, like a ch uh, just a, a secret group. 
And that was kind of the first time there was actually any sort of community. Like after I, I set up that group and those joined and we slowly added other members as they kind of reached out to us and got referred and kind of vetted because it's a secret group and people's identity in it is actually highly confidential because if they get out it, they'll get kicked out of their colony because a lot of them are still on the colony and they're in that group. And there's been like more groups that have been formed now, like chat groups where they're create, there's now a bit more of a community. There's a lot, lot more talking together and the creation of some sort of identity, I guess, as a, as a splinter of Hutterite culture or a, a subset within Hutterite culture. Do you feel like queer Hutterites are now able to exist because of these conversations? Not openly in a colony yet that I have seen. Like there might be some, there might be some that I just don't know about, but I don't know of any Hutterites that are out publicly to everyone in the colony. I know of some that are out to a few of their friends. Mm-hmm. And even that's extremely brave because, sorry, my burping is so much. Um, because even if you if this one wrong person passes it on to the wrong other person, that that gossip train just never stops. So even coming out to one or two people is extremely risky because of that. Um, but I definitely think there's been more of a sense of cohesiveness since those groups have been formed. Because like when I left, I I didn't know of any other gay Hutterites. I it took me like a year to meet any others here in the city because it was just there just nobody was brave enough to be out publicly because even if they leave they often want to still be able to visit their family so they keep that part of their identity hidden so it's it's quite challenging to come out in any context if you still want a relationship with your family and that makes it extra challenging for a lot of them Thank you so much for spending all of that time to explain that. That actually needs to be talked about. Yeah. And it's also parallel to your Amish cousins. Yeah. It happens. And, and, uh, and I would say on the same note, like not all gay Hutterites want to be atheist or agnostic in the same way I do. Like uh-huh. some of them actually want to still be Christians on the colony and they just happen to be born gay. So it's a hell of a like. Yes it's a hell of a situation to be put into if you don't want to leave. Like for me, I wanted to be an artist full time and I wanted to be out as a gay man. And I was like, those are conditions on which to leave. And I just wanted more freedom. I wanted to travel. I wanted to meet people that are different on a regular. (laughs) I wanted to have opportunities. So I left for like a few kind of main reasons and then just a bunch of like small grievances on top of that. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) So we're about to wrap things up, but one of the things that we do is we always ask our guests. So if you could go back and tell your younger self or anybody who's in the same position that you were in something, anything, Mm -hmm. what would you tell them? Yeah. Grow a set of balls and come out earlier. Because, <laughs> like, I, I kind of 
often wish that I had known what the Canadian law, like what protections it gave me as a Hutterite, like even on the colony, that I could have easily come out on the colony and really not face any proper repercussions because a colony is a corporation and a corporation is not allowed to discriminate based on sexual orientation. So like knowing my rights as a Canadian in terms of free expression, free association, like the freedoms that I actually had, if I would have known those more, I think I would have been a lot more confident about my ability to come out and also not not being in self-doubt about my, my identity. Because obviously on the colony, everything that is straight is normal. Like, and if it's normal, it's right. And that's the only thing that matters is like the majority consensus for the, for the most part which in many ways is a very exclusionary and very toxic way of living if you never want to adapt. Like yeah. if you're never around people with other perspectives, if you don't allow them to flourish in your own community, you'll never adapt because if you just kick out everyone that always pushes the boat a little bit or pushes the agenda a little bit, if you always kick them out, your culture will just, just languish and die. Because it's not allowing it's not allowing those diverse voices to actually help make it better, help make it stronger, more resilient, more like cohesive, more loving to everyone. Because I don't I don't believe in that idea that a culture has to be one type of person, one type of personality, one type of philosophy in order to work together and be a singular unit. I I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. That so yeah that's kind of my take is like be brave and do stuff that makes a difference <laughs> so or maybe even challenge your own perceptions of who you are yeah Explore well that's, that's step one that's step one is like know who you are to a fairly high degree <laughs> yeah what about you james well, got any uh, parting words yeah well first kelly uh, i'm just across the river from you in detroit so we're kind of neighbors, right? But, um, such so, neighbors, such like 5,000 kilometer away neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like my understanding is there's now Amish in Canada's, is that Prince Edward Island? Is that right? Um, I have no clue. Okay. Um, and, there's like also, that. and there's also a lot of Mennonites in Canada. There's um. There's a lot so, of Mennonites in um, in Manitoba, even like in Manitoba, kind of okay, north, okay. north central Manitoba. Yeah, so I guess I would just want to give a happy Pride shout out to everyone in Canada. I mean, you know, we got you, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a struggle, but we're doing it. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, we, you know, the reason that the the Amish are, they're like literally held together by church rules. Like, you know, like if Mary and I are both in the Amish and Mary tells me that she's gay um, and I'm going to take that to the minister and she's going to get in trouble, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's how they keep Amish people Amish and be, beyond yeah. the fact that you don't get education. So this yeah. is a really good point in our respective cultures is um, growth and learning and acceptance and tolerance and uh, that's something those that are good we, virtues. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like Cherry picked that from your Bible. <laughs> oh, oh my. <laughs> Didn't you know that, you know, AFAB people like me can't possibly read and comprehend the Bible because we were created second and we are the lesser being. Truly, truly. You could not possibly understand anything with your feeble mind. I know, right? But hey, with that being said, I mean, I want to thank you, Kelly, and I want to thank you, James. Thank you, James, for being my co-host. As always, it's a joy to be doing this with you. Thank you, Kelly, for being our guest and for sharing openly some of your Hutterite experiences. Mm -hmm. Y'all check out Kelly's Kelly's creativity. They are like, he is freaking phenomenal. His photography is fantastic. And it, it shows a glimpse into how to write life that I had never seen before. So it really kind of helped me see some like cultural perspectives of varieties mm-hmm. of Anabaptists. And furthermore, mm-hmm. uh, I just want to say this concludes our third season of Plain Rainbows. Ooh. So happy pride thank you to all of our patreon subscribers and thank you to the misfit amish who are supporting this work it means a lot to me thank you to all our listeners like we couldn't do this without your support and you know our guests like y'all have been an amazing journey this year like i can't even describe how many different ideas and thoughts y'all have brought forth in me and how much it has affected my ability to be creative and to be my best fucking self because you know what at the end of the day I started challenging and questioning things and to anybody who may be experiencing some of the things that you know we have discussed in previous episodes of Plain Rainbows I'd say this y'all let me explain to you that if you experience attraction to the same gender or you have some form of gender identity um that you don't necessarily align with what you were assigned with at birth, that you, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, you are a valid whole human being. And if you feel like you're imperfect, maybe you're just perfectly imperfect. Maybe this is your fucking journey and you get to live your life however the fuck you want to, as long as you're not harming people. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Don't harm people. Don't lie to people. Furthermore, (laughs) go forth and like live your best fucking life. Shine your light. Be you. That's right. That's right. And if you need to be closeted for safety reasons, we do support you. We are here for you. There are people on our advisory board. There are people at the Misfit Amish who will actually support you. And there are people like at the Trevor Project who will support you. There are people like Kelly was talking about in the support groups who will support you. You are worthy. You are a whole valid human being and you deserve to live a fulfilling and meaningful life. Happy fucking pride. Amen. Amen.